All right. Hey, as, uh, as you guys are sitting down, what are some of the apps that we at Marin Covenant Church, what, what, are, what are some of the apps we use? And you, you, don't have to, you can say somebody else if you, if you don't want to embarrass yourself. What, what, what apps do you guys use? None, huh? Pokemon Go. All right, a little confession time. Who plays Pokemon Go? All right, keep your hands raised. Who's higher than level 10? What? No. Anyone level 20? First hour, an adult was higher than the high school kids. How cool was that? That warmed my heart. All right, Pokemon Go, what other apps do we use? Yep. Snapchat, what a great way to talk to people and then have it disappear forever sometimes. What else? Anything else? Yep. Life 360? Yes. Nice job. Pixie Note. Yeah, it just came out with a new update. It's incredible. Get five freak later this week, I think, right? So, um, all right. Well, here's the deal. I, uh, I love apps. I need to take your phone out. And uh, I have a, uh, a pastoral challenge for you, okay? So here's the deal. I'm going to ask, if you want to trust me with the challenge, I'm going to ask you to, to do this challenge. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but you're like, Man, Ben, I sort of trust you, even 40%. Then I need you to take a picture of yourself, a little selfie, text it to me, and be like, wherever you take me, I'm in this week, okay? So you have 15 seconds. Take a quick picture of yourself. If you're like, I'm in. Um, yeah, I'm not going to give you any back out yet, okay? This is a, it's a challenge. All right, yes. Little appropriate hand signs, not like the kids. All right? All right, a little selfie of yourself. You can text to me and you say, Ben, I don't know. I'm not quite sure what this is all about. I've already had to interact with people. I've had to share my phone with people. And now you're asking me to take a selfie and send it to you. But, but maybe I'll go where you're going to go. Okay. All right. Now, all right, you set the pictures off. There's no backing out. Now what I need to do is everybody take out your phone if you're willing to participate. And you need to go to the app store. And you need to download this app called Moment. All right. Now, while you're downloading this app, this app is brutal. Now, here's the deal. Merit Covenant Church with cell phone use, there's no judgment. There's no like, Oh, good people use their cell phone three hours a day. Bad people use them one hour a day. No, nothing like that. Here, this, is, this, this app tracks how often you look at your cell phone a day. It is brutal. I knew it was coming up. I didn't even put it on my phone until yesterday when I was sick. I'm like, I don't even want to deal with it. But here's the deal. There is no judgment. There's no right or wrong. It's simply like standing on the scale. In my mind, there's this weight I want to be. But the second I stand on the scale, it's like, oh, that's who I am, right? Um, it's like, oh, I know math. And you go take a math test. And you're like, oh, I guess that's how I know math, right? Same thing. Moment is, there's, it's no judgment. It's simply just an indicator that says, this is how much time you spend on your phone. And the reason why I wanted to challenge you with that, and here's the deal. If, uh, if, if you really want to be into the challenge, I would, on Tuesday, just take a screenshot of your picture of how you're doing. Send it to me, and I'll keep praying for you, and I'll send you mine. And uh, it'll be really fun. So if you want out, I totally get that. Um, but the reason why I wanted to share this with you is because cell phones are really incredible. They're, they're a gift from God. I love them. Um, but however, they've become this really weird, uh, socially acceptable way for us to kind of step back. And God has invited us to be in community. God has invited us to live life together, to be eyeball to eyeball, people to share our lives with each other and to get after the things of God. And sometimes our cell phones are a little distracting. I just want to show you this quick little video I thought was pretty funny that I came across uh, from ESPN uh, probably a couple months ago now. And while there, maybe they'll tweet us their fan photo, BB. Ooh. <laughs> I mean, look, look at the one on the right. Do you have to With, make faces when you take selfies? Wait, one more now. Oh, there you go. Better angle. 
Oh, check it. Did that come out okay? That's the best one of the 300 pictures I've taken look, of myself look, today. Every girl in the picture is locked into her phone. Oh, Lord. Every single one is dialed in. Welcome to parenting in 2015. <laughs> They're all just completely transfixed by the technology. All right. There are those girls. I, if you come across them, it's incredible. It's a good generational conversation. All those poor announcers are like, what's going on? The girl's like, uh, yeah, that's how we live our life. Well, what I thought was interesting when I came across this is these girls, they got to go to a baseball game. They got to go to this incredible event, right? They go to a baseball game. They get to eat churros. They're with their friends. And yet for them, their moment is wrapped up in sending selfies on Snapchat to who knows what, some boy that they probably like. They're probably all sending the same boy. Who knows? And um, but what's interesting is, here they are, they're at this thing, and then they're, but they're missing out. And I thought, started thinking about it a lot for from, from my own self, and when I think of our church, I think God has invited us into something really, truly incredible. And we miss it. And we miss it because there's a socially acceptable way of only doing what I want to do. Do you realize this? And think about it, in the last 10 years, I only listen to the music I want to listen to. Someone else listens to the music, they put their earbuds in. I only watch the shows I want to watch. We all have our own devices. We all go to separate parts of the house. We watch our own devices, right? If my conversation with you is starting to get boring, I'm like, oh, someone texted me, and I, and I kind of go somewhere else, right? We all do it. And it's like this socially acceptable way to go, hey, I'm glad I'm near you, but I'm going to do this thing instead, and we miss it. And I think we miss out in relationship with each other, which is good for all humans. As Christians, I think we miss out on what God is going to do in us and through us. God is a little bit quieter. He's invisible. It takes a little more effort to, uh, to, to, to hear from him and to get after what he has for him. And... Um, and we just miss it. And we end up settling for playing Pokemon Go or binge-watching Stranger Things. Or like that, that, that becomes our life, and we miss out on all that God has for you. And please, I, th- I love Stranger Things and Pokemon Go, and I mean, I'm down. But I, we don't want to do it to the point where we miss out that God has for us. And so this week, and for the next four weeks, we're going to do this series called Life Together. God has invited us to live this full and abundant life. He's invited us to do it together in community. And in order for us to really get after it, we actually have to put our cell phones down. We have to make eye contact. We have to listen to God. We have to listen to each other. And we have to, have to do the hard work of beginning to do this thing called community of being the church and doing it together. Um, this, so what we're going to do is we're going to look at this passage in Philippians. So if you have a Bible, pull out Philippians chapter 2 on your phone or the Bible in front of you. And uh, we're going to spend all morning there today. All right, let me pray for us and then we'll hop into our time. Heavenly Father, our gracious God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for our church. Thank you for the place to find freedom to figure out exactly what's going on in us and what you want to long to do through us. I pray as we spend time in your word, God, that you would both encourage us and correct us, but mostly, God, that you continue to mold us and shape us in the image of your son, Jesus. And all of God's kids said, amen and amen. All right, here we are, Philippians chapter 2. And the way that Paul breaks this down, I love it. He he gives this hook of like, hey, we've all had this common experience. You're like, yeah, we've experienced that. And then he gives this really hard teaching, which is no fun. And then to make his uh, teaching come, like, to, to drop the hammer, he says, and this is why, because of our theology, this is why we put, our, why we put this into practice. So it's, this has not been good news for me as I've studied, but maybe together as a church, we can lean into it a little bit more. Here we are, Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, if any of you have encouragement from being united with Christ— any comfort from his love and any common sharing of the Spirit, any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. 
In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. Being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to death, even on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen and amen. So I love how Paul begins. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, any comfort of his love. And what's so fun is that Paul just says, listen, you guys, you came to church this morning. That's really great. Some of you guys have been a part of our church for a really long time. For those of you who've been connected to Christ, who've been connected to the body of Christ, have you ever felt any benefit of being in the body of Christ? Has there been any way that that's been a benefit for you? Or some of you, if if you've encountered the living Christ, if you've encountered the Spirit of God and God's Holy Spirit has met you, has comforted you, has transformed you, has even begun to do a work in you, if you've had any connection to the Holy Spirit, he says, then make my joy complete. And I love that because Paul appeals into the relationship. Paul is not just some random guy writing a letter. Paul is the apostle of Jesus Christ who planted the church in Philippi, who loves, loves, loves these people. He loves them, and they love him. He's saying, listen, if you, then, then, if you want these things, then make my joy complete. Because I am your pastor, because I am the apostle, that's a reason to lean into this stuff. If you have any encouragement from being connected to Christ, any fellowship with the Spirit, any tenderness or compassion, then make my joy complete. So that's his appeal. If those things are true, then, this is what the then is, being like-minded, having the same love, and being one in spirit of mind. If you've had any of these things, if you've tasted even a glimpse of how great it is to be connected to God and to his people, then to make my joy complete. He says, and what makes his joy complete, these three things. You want to know what true community looks like? It's these three things. One, being like-minded. It's not saying agreeing. It doesn't mean that we agree on every single thing. It doesn't mean agreeing that we agree on the majority of things. It means that we share the same vision and the same purpose. Now, all Christians everywhere have like this big macro vision and purpose that we all share, that we want to be connected to Christ and be about, about his kingdom. And the way that every church kind of lives that out is a little bit different. But here at Marin Covenant, we've said, this is kind of the thing. What does it mean to be like-minded? Well, here at our church, to be like-minded says this, that we're going to engage in the spirit, with the spiritually hungry towards a life in Christ, that's intelligent, inspired, and involved. So if we are going to be true community, then we have to be like-minded, which means we are going to make so much space for people who are engaging with the spiritually hungry. And people who are spiritually hungry come in every walk, every shape, every size, every political background, every sexual orientation, every race, every religion. A whole map. Anywhere in Marin County, right? If our church is going to be open to make space for them. That is our vision. That is our purpose. So to come and to be in community means that we need to be like-minded. We don't have to agree with everybody where they come from, but being like-minded means that we're going to be open so that people who are spiritually hungry have a chance to engage with Christ, to become more and more like him, and to have a faith that is intelligent, inspired, and involved. So it says, man, to be like-minded. And that is so hard because we think I have to agree with you on these other things, and that's what we're going to do. And we all have affinity groups of different things that we all agree on, but as the church, as Marin Covenant Church, the way we live in community is to be like-minded. The second is that we're to share the same love 
And I love the word love. I love love, right? It's love is so great. And a lot of times we think of love as like this, like just love your neighbor. And really we, we, we settle on this top shelf level of love, kind of showing kindness, random acts of kindness. How great would the world be if everyone just gave random acts of kindness? But truthfully, kindness, which is great. We love when people are kind to us. But kindness is this top shelf level of love. Kindness actually doesn't cost me anything. It might cost me some money to give something away. It might cost me 10 seconds to do something. But it doesn't cost me the core of my being. At my very core, I don't have to give any of my core away to somebody to show kindness. So if we want to have the same love, we have to show kindness. But kind of the next level of kindness is this idea that we have empathy. And having empathy begins moving down this like kind of selfless road because having empathy doesn't go, oh, man, your life sucks. Sorry, dude. Having empathy goes, oh my goodness, there's something going on with you. You have this, something happened to you. You have this worldview. You have a way in which you engage the world. I don't understand. But empathy allows myself to emotionally get out of my own skin and step over and try my best to just sit with that other person. I'm not trying to fix them. I'm not trying to solve them. I'm not judging them. I'm not trying to pull them somewhere. Empathy is just sitting with them where they are, showing love. We have kindness and then we have empathy. And empathy is giving our emotions to somebody else and trying to identify with them. And lastly, we have vulnerability. And vulnerability is the hardest thing. We all want to present so well. But if we're going to be vulnerable, we, that's giving of our inner sides, actually giving of ourselves, who we really are. This is really who I am. And Paul is saying, if we want to truly live in community, we have to be like-minded, but then we have to share this love, not fake love, but real love that is kind and empathetic and vulnerable. And lastly, that we're to be one in spirit and in mind. And as I love this passage, now I can barely speak English, so my Hebrew is even more atrocious. But there's this, this idea that the, the one, to share in one spirit, um, is this idea of echad. How's that for Hebrew? Um, now there's two words for one in Hebrew. One is yachid, which means the number one, and then one is echad, which means a unified one. Now in the Bible, whenever they talk to God, they'd never say yachid, which is just the number one. They always use this word echad, which is a unified one. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. This God who is one, one God. The Hebrew word for that is ahed. No, I just messed it up. You know what I was saying before. It doesn't matter. But that's the word, right? And, uh, and it could have been any other word, but the word, and, and most Jewish people would, not, would say, no, that's not true. It means one. But it was this one that gave some wiggle room. It gives a little wiggle room that's not just this one God, but it's a united God. Right? And we know, as that is expressed in the New Testament, that God is actually a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three different persons, but one unified God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. That's the exact same word that's used in Genesis 2, verse 24, when it says, a man shall leave his, his wife, I mean his father and mother, and go and be united and become one flesh, become one. Two distinct people becoming united. And so this idea of being one spirit is this invitation to be one. We're not, we don't give up our personhood. We don't give up our uniqueness. But somehow through the mystery of Christ, we become united. In John chapter 17, Jesus prays this incredible prayer at the end of his life. And he prays for his people. And he says, for, the, for us, for, for believers who are to come, he says, may they be one. Like the Father and I are one. May they be one so the world will know that you sent me. And there's this weird way that when we as Christians who are so diverse and so different, have so many different things out there, when we actually come together and are united and are like-minded and share the same love and live in unity, we are this incredible testimony to the world around us. And that is the picture that God longs for us, that Paul says, if we are going to do life together, then we need to be like-minded, we have to share the same love, and we need to be united in one spirit 
and one mind. <sighs> Amen. So good. Unfortunately, Paul doesn't stop there because that's good theology. It's good idea. But Paul then says, this is how to do it. And this is where it gets kind of hard. He goes on and says, so be of one spirit and one mind. So do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. It's so crazy. In our context, we are all about being selfish and being ambitious. We're Marin County people. We're ambitious. We get after things. We go to great colleges. We try to get good jobs. And we think, what's wrong with being ambitious? But what's crazy is there's something very wrong with being selfish. And then culturally, actually, we, being selfish is this new weird value. But in the people of God, being selfish is this thing that is in us, that is deeply in us, that needs to be identified and rooted out. And here's some really bad news. All of us have selfish ambition. And here's the worst part. Nobody cares about our own selfish ambition. You have this thing that you want to do and you want to run after and you do with all of your heart. And the truth is that your friends, your spouse, your kids, they don't care like you care. They have other things for you. But you, this, you, are, you get single-minded in this thing you want to do. A few years ago, probably been like five years ago, I had this brief moment where I thought I was going to be this writer and I was going to write this book that was going to change the world for Jesus and it was going to help pay for my kids' braces in college. I really thought it was going to happen. And so I, I, I went to this writing conference and I paid a lot of money to go do it, but I did it because the hook was, if you go, you get to meet with an agent. I'm like, oh. All I need is FaceTime with an agent. I'm going to sit down with an agent, and they're going to be so impressed. I wrote this incredible book. My mom read it. She really loved it. Um, I'm a part of this denomination. In my little denominational pond, I'm really important. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to go, and I'm going to knock these people's socks off. And so I go, and I sit in this room because I have this ambition. I thought it was godly ambition. There's some godliness to it. But, right, I've, but my world was like this. I have this thing that I'm going to bring. And I sit in this room of 400 other authors who all thought they had incredible books for the world to have, right? All these people trying to write. This was back when, a, when a Christian vampire books were really big. I don't know if you read those, but those were really big. There's all these people who survived cancer, and those were really big. And there's all these different genres. And everyone, like we sit around these tables, and everyone's like talking all the time. Here's my book. Here's my great thing in our elevator pitch. And everyone's like talking. But you realize, I don't care about your dumb book. I'm here for my great book. You should care about my great book. And you have all these competing people going with their selfish ambitions, and no one cares. And, uh, and it all came home. I sat with my agent. I was like, hey, agent, um, here's my book. It's really incredible. My mom likes it. And I'm a really big deal in my denomination. And this is why. And, and she goes, let me stop you. What denomination? Oh, in her world, our little denomination doesn't even register, right? Like I'm, I'm a nobody in her world. And so we all have selfish ambition. We all get after these things. And the truth is we're the only ones that care. Um, I have a very manicured social media presence. I very much care what people think about me. And so I, I put certain things on Facebook, certain things on Instagram, certain things on Snapchat, right? It's very manicured. I have a way in which I want to present. And the reality is we all do that. And we do it at the expense of others. We very clearly make sure we want people to know who we're with, what we're doing, and why we're so important. And for the more immature among us, we do it in a way that cuts other people and proves where they are in that list as well. It is in us. And so if we are going to get after all that God has for us, if we're going to be um, like-minded, share the same love, and be in one spirit, we have to realize that we all have selfish ambition. We need to own what it is. We need God to reveal what it is, and we need to ask God to root that out. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul says that we're to crucify our flesh. 
Um, it says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. If we're going to be all that God has for us, we have to say, what is this thing in me? God, root it out in me. Kill it in me. It's not saying have, have ambition, but our selfish ambition, our vanity, has to be put to death. He goes on to say, and this is actually the easy part, because he goes on to say, not only do you have to put this thing to death, um, but, the, but rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. It's a really hard challenge to go and die to myself. It's even harder to consider somebody else ahead of me. And this is how I know it to be true. I, um, I'm married to my lovely wife, Katie, and uh, we have two kids and our life is really busy. And uh, most weeknights, life is really hectic for us. We, I, have, I work a lot and I have a lot of things. Katie works a lot and also takes care of our home. And then we have sports and we play and we have dinner and we have all stuff. And it's the end of the day and we sit down and we're like, oh, we're so tired. And Katie falls asleep on the couch, and so we finally, it's bedtime, so we go up to bed. And I'm lying in bed thinking, well, I know you're really tired, but it's Tuesday, and Tuesday in our house, you know what that means, right? And so as a good godly man, I go, I, I, I recognize my wife must be really tired. I get that, and I'm a godly man, and I want to love her, and so I'm going to die to my flesh, and I'm going to not, you know, put anything on her that she needs to deal with that night, right? I'm going to love her. I'm going to let her sleep. That's, that's hard, but that's actually way easier than actually getting my head out of my own bottom and saying, God, what does Katie need? Not what do I need, what does Katie need and how do I love her? How do I care for her? How do I give her what she needs? Not just so that this moment will happen, but in her whole life, in her whole marriage. And that is way harder. And my wife, she loves to talk. She's a verbal processor. I'm not a verbal processor. She has things and she has so many words and so many things going on in her day. And I just want to solve problems every day. Oh, I can solve that, I can solve that. What's the point? And I find myself, my eyes glaze over sometimes, right? That's what happens. That is not me loving. Me getting over my own stuff, me considering her above myself means her things, the things that are going on in her life and in her heart matter to her and they should matter to me. Um, we, that, that works in our, our marriage relationships. Um, when I first came here and worked at Marin Covenant Church, there's this weird thing where all of us who are employees, we hate our bosses. Our bosses are so stupid. And, uh, and I, I came here, I mean, I came here to work with Art. I love Art. And he's brilliant, and he's a genius, and he's a visionary, and he's an incredible leader, and I was glad to work here. But after a couple of years, I'm like, man, you're getting old. Turn, get a hearing aid or something. He's like, you know, he's all deaf. He's not paying attention. And I started thinking, when's the leadership team going to figure out what this guy is not doing? And they should tap me to be the man because I know everything. And um, I can't believe I said that out loud. But you know, but we all, as employees, we all have it in us. We look at our boss and go, boss, you are so stupid. Because we don't know all their world and all the issues that are going on them, but we just go, you're stupid. What was crazy is God thankfully crushed me. He's like, um, Ben, you're an idiot. Art's incredible. And instead of trying to like jockey for his job, what would it be like if you just loved him and served him? And God fundamentally changed the way in which I engaged in him. And like five or six years ago, I'm like, okay, Art, you are old. You're really old, but you're really smart and you're really wise and you're a good leader and I have so much to learn from you. So I'm just going to sit and be your friend and get after all that God has for you. And God has knit our hearts together in an incredible, incredible way. What's interesting, I'm, I'm reading this book about parenting right now. It's called Far From the Tree. And there's this weird, this, the guy who wrote it, um, I think he's an atheist, uh, but he, he mentions that there's these parents when they have kids, both for either for evolutionary or spiritual reasons. He kind of leaves it out there. But we have these kids and we, that we want them to be mini uses. We long for them to be just like us and uh, so that we can, you know, so that we can live forever kind of sort of thing. Or that There's all sorts of reasons for it. But we all know that to be true. And you know this because parents come talk to me. My kid's not like me anymore. They're doing blah, blah, blah. And we freak out as parents because they're becoming different from us. And this whole book is about kids who have fallen 
Far From the Tree. It's an incredible book. I highly recommend it. But that's the whole thing, right? What would it be like instead of going, this is what I need from my kid, going, what is God doing in my kid? How is God forming my kid that's unique? And how do I consider my kid above themselves? So in all of our relationships, we all have those things. We all have people that we love, that we want long to live uh, better for, right? We want to die to our own flesh. We want to consider others above ourselves. And when we do that, we begin to live in community. And that is really good news. Um, The easy thing is that all people, all humans, Christian or not, really want to love their spouses well, love their friends well, love their kids well. That's like not a uniquely Christian thing. Um, I think the Bible has some incredible things to, to, to help us with that. But what is uniquely Christian is what do we do and how do we love and how do we care for and how do we consider others when those other people are hostile towards us, when they're against us, when they're gunning for us in our job, in our life, in our position, in our status, in our power. Well, then what? Well, Paul goes on and says this. In your relationships... Not some of your relationships, not just in your friendships, but in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus doesn't give us space to only love the people who love us. Jesus was God, the holy, righteous, all-knowing, all-power, consuming fire God, is Jesus in the flesh. And yet when he came, he came in the form of a servant. People who hated him, he served. He, to the point of death, death on a cross, he served. At any point, anywhere along the way, from the time he was born to the time he died, he could have stood up and said, listen, I have all the power and you're dead. All the time. Like, if I was Jesus, that's why I'd be like, haha, that was fun loving you and now you're dead. But Jesus is like that. All the way to the point of death, he served and he gave up. And we do not want to hear that because at at what point do we have to finally defend ourselves? And what's crazy is the first century um, Christians, Jesus himself, they all died. They all served to the point of death. No one thought, well, if we die, who's going to be the church? So let's all run away and hide or let's give up our convictions because we'll live to fight another day. They all died because their view of who God was was so much better, bigger than their little moment. And if we're going to love the people who are different from us, who are our enemies, it is going to be costly. And we need to own that, we need to own that that's going to be a challenge. What's crazy is, is the internet has taken over. Um, the, like 10 or 15 years ago, there was all these articles about how great the internet was, uh, all this access to information all over the world. It's going to be great. It's going to make the world a united place. But really, our humans, we can't handle that much information. We can't handle that much diversity. And what's happened is the other way, we've all like picked these little tribes. We don't live in community with our neighbors anymore. We all stay inside of our homes and stay at our phones and on the computer. And we have these tribes of people who all agree with us, whether it's theologically or politically um, or whatever. We all find these people and go, these are my people. Well, all of that little tribalism does not work in the body of Christ. In the body of Christ, it's Jesus that unifies us. Boy, and that is really hard. Here's how I know it's hard. And I'm just going to, well, it doesn't matter. In my world, 
Everyone in my world uh, are Hillary supporters. Everyone in my school are Hillary supporters. And uh, to the point where my daughter came home from school the other day and said, hey, Daddy, if Trump gets elected, is Armageddon going to happen? And I'm like, do you even know what Armageddon is as a fourth grader? And like, like it's just, right, it's in the air that's in my world that I, that I breathe. It's in her world that she breathes going to school. Um, and what's interesting is, as um, people, we, we have this weird thing in us where we want a tribe of people that agree with us. And we give these like little value signals to each other, like, hey, I'm with you, I'm with you. Trump's an idiot, that's how you know I'm with you, right? We have these value signals, and we do it. And, uh, and what's crazy is, I wonder if God might be inviting us to, what would it be like to engage another human being, right? All of us have, uh, might even be you, but we all have relatives or people out there in our world somewhere who are going to vote differently than us in this election, or maybe not vote at all. We all have people who are different than us. Instead of just going, you're an idiot because of blah, 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 which both sides can easily do. But what, instead of going, you're an idiot, protect our tribe and to keep everybody at bay, what would it be like to lean over, show kindness, empathy, and vulnerability, and go, tell me about your world, your life, your story. People are doing those sorts of things because something about who they are. And as Christians, we lean into that. We give of ourselves to that. And that is really costly. And that's just one silly example. We all have people who are not our, who are not our friends for a whole variety of reasons. But instead of ignoring our enemies or belittling our enemies or cutting off our enemies, I think God might be inviting us to lean in, to show grace, to model this unity that we have. And lastly, it's this. I just think our perspective matters. In my world, I'm the most important thing. But if I step back, I think, well, my family is the most important thing. Step back, maybe my church is the most important thing. Maybe my country is the most important thing. Maybe the earth is the most important thing, right? What if Jesus was the most important thing? If Jesus is the center, if Jesus is the king, if he's the Lord of lords and king of kings, he's the center, then I can step back. And that changes everything. This moment that feels so costly right now, compared to the magnitude of who Jesus is, what he modeled, all of a sudden, everything is different. My two biggest fatal flaws, my biggest issues that I'm always worried about are my weight and my finances. If I go to the beach in LA, I don't want to take my shirt off. They're all going to judge me because I haven't had a six-pack well ever, right? But there was playing beach volleyball on the beach. I don't fit in there and I'm all insecure. But I went and spoke up at the Upper Peninsula in Michigan a couple years ago. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm skinny mini, you know? And uh, it's just a different context. It's a different world. So it's like, who am I really? It's about, well, where am I, who am I standing next to? I think, oh man, everyone around me seems to have so much money. They're going on these great trips. Their life is so great. I wish I had some more money. Oh, well, I did this little thing. It turns out in the whole world, I'm in the top, I'm less than top 1%. I'm the wealthiest less than top 1% in the whole world. Now, in my little context, I may not be, but in perspective, I'm like, oh my goodness, God has given me so much. And so our perspective changes everything. And so if we're going to live in unity, if we're going to do life together, we have to understand our true perspective. And our true perspective is that there's this incredible God who's all-knowing, who's all-powerful, who has invited us to be in unity and in community together. And when we're in community together, when we have the same, uh, when we're like-minded, when we have the same love and we have the same purpose, when we do those things, we actually are good news to our county. The church is awful news when we come out guns blazing, telling everybody how wrong they are. That did not work well for us. Instead, we're good news because people from every part of the spectrum of the human condition can come together and be like-minded in Christ. And our unity is good news to a broken world that's in desperate need of it. Let me pray for us and then we'll be all done. Heavenly Father and our gracious God, I thank you that you've invited us to be a part of community. 
I thank you that we've experienced your love and your grace and your mercy here. And God, I pray that you would nudge us along, that you'd help us to put down our phones, put down the things that are keeping us from actually engaging with one another. God, may we truly be like-minded, sharing the same love and being of one spirit and one mind. May we as this little body in this little part of the world truly be good news to our county. May we make so much space for people to come and experience your love and your grace. And when we leave this place and our spouse gets under our skin or our kids do or our parents do or our employer does or our friends do or the internet does and some jerk on Facebook, whatever, all those things are just going to rile us and mess us up, God. May we have the perspective that you are God. You are the one who's deserved to be worshipped and you gave up your glory for the sake of us. May we model that to others around us. And may all this be to the glory of your son, Jesus Christ, both now and forevermore. Amen and amen.